Welcome to Follow the Medical Record, where healthcare experts give insights into the increasing importance of following a patient's medical record through the health ecosystem with compliance, privacy, security, and efficiency front and center. This podcast is brought to you by MRO and hosted by Don Hardwick, Senior Vice President of Client Relations at MRO. Don has been in the health information management industry for over 40 years and has extensive knowledge of how medical records make their way through the healthcare ecosystem. At MRO, Don is responsible for strategic client engagement programs and overall client satisfaction. To hear from all of MRO's industry experts, be sure to visit MROCorp.com for additional content and to sign up for our monthly e-newsletter. Over to you, Don. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Follow the Medical Record. I'm your host, Don Hardwick. Thanks for listening in today. You can learn more about MRO on our website at MROCORP.com and can connect with me on LinkedIn. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter at MROCORP. On today's program, we'll be talking to Don Crump, who is the Senior Director of Revenue Integrity Solutions at MRO about clinical claims denial. So Don, welcome to the show. Thank you, Don. Thanks for having me. Don, before we get started, if you could tell our listeners a little bit about your background and your current role at MRO. Yes. So I have been working in the in the healthcare space for um, the majority of my life, it feels like, um, primarily around compliance and revenue cycle process improvement. So, um, you know, I'm very passionate about ensuring that that hospitals and providers um, get paid for the quality care that they're providing to patients. And, and with that, it's really gotten me into this realm of of audits and denials and how they impact hospital organizations. Dawn, I'd like to start to unpack this sort of from the very beginning. If you can describe sort of the billing cycle and what happens uh, during that billing cycle that will end up in some kind of denial. Also kind of uh, what those different types of denials look like and how impactful they are for a hospital's financial position? Sure, I mean, overall, the the billing cycle really starts at the time that the patient is either making an appointment or getting admitted or coming in through the the ER and and working with the provider. So it's either prior to the visit when they're submitting their insurance information is really when it kind of gets starts. Um, And it continues on throughout that patient care cycle. Um, and as we get to it, we always think about kind of it being at the back end of the revenue cycle, but it, all of that really starts up front from prior authorizations um, to procedures and um, as well as just capturing the correct insurance information. Um, from there, it goes through the cycle of patient care. And then once that patient or the, the care is completed, then that bill gets coded um, and then submitted to the payers. Um, once that is done, then there is a, a, a time, this is obviously very high level, then that payer receives that claim and has the opportunity then to evaluate it and identify if there are missing components and if they want to deny it or provide an audit. And some of that is contractual, some of that is a standard process and expectation. Is there communication going on between the provider and the payer early on in the process? 
Absolutely. So that's where prior authorizations come in. So if you're having a, a surgery or even if it's a um, an outpatient imaging, um, uh, depending on your payer and your payer guidelines, you might have to have a prior authorization before um, before you get scheduled for those procedures. Um, and oftentimes uh, the payer will ask for some of the information as to why you need it, that the medical necessity or some of your medical records ahead of time to confirm that that procedure or that test is needed. So make sure I, I'm following this. If, if there's communication going on sort of every step of the way in that, in that process while the patient is receiving treatment in-house then why is that why is there you know a degree of any kind of denials at the at the end of the process if they have pre-approved along the way all of the treatment that's being rendered sure it's a really great question and there's a lot of variables that can come into play for that one is the very first thing which is if you've ever called your insurance company to, to find out about a prior authorization or to obtain one yourself, you will hear that standard messaging while you're waiting for to talk to a person that says prior author, authorization does not necessarily um, mean that you'll get paid. I mean, they say it a little bit better than that, but that's kind of the standard messaging. So that, that they're upfront about that. Secondarily, there could be things where what you submit to the payer for prior authorization is not the same test or procedure that is that is completed on the day of the actual test. And so if those codes are different, then that will automatically kind of trigger a denial because of lack of authorization. So an example of that, as a very simple example that, that would make a lot of us scratch our heads that are not in the clinical world is, let's say I was authorized for a CT without contrast. But when I came in, the radiologist or the doctor said they wanted a CT with contrast. And when you do that, it's two different codes and you might've already gotten, only gotten the authorization for the without contrast, so it could be denied. Now that's a very simple, um, a, a very simple example, but you can understand with all the variation and the, the thousands and thousands of codes that are out there to support whether it's a, 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 a surgery versus a test and what type of test and all those variations, it leads to opportunities for those denials. Another reason is actually in the documentation that is submitted, if it is not complete and accurate in capturing what the payer expects for medical necessity or it's not timely, they may issue an initial prior auth, um, but then post, uh, you know, post-claim decide that it didn't meet all of the medical necessity requirements and then deny it. So do they deny the whole claim in those cases or just, just using the, the simple analogy that you presented where you've got with and without a contrast, do they, do they approve the without contrast because it's a little bit cheaper and then evaluate the necessity for the with contrast piece of it? 
but they've paid 99.9% of the bill and only carving out that one piece of it that they need more information on about the with contrast? Or do they deny the whole thing? It, it really depends on the payer and their claim methodology. So it is not consistent across all payers. Um, some may deny all of it, um, but then allow you to resubmit the claim for the partial or resubmit the claim with a retro authorization request um, for the updated test or procedure. So in essence, they they may not they may not deny a whole claim. Maybe maybe uh, denying a whole claim is a much lower percentage than just denying a part of the claim. Is that right? Cor correct. Correct. They can they can deny all or in part, um, it, and it really varies around the denial reason, type, payer, um, several several different variables in that play. Where does the medical record, and this show kind of focuses on the medical record and its uses and how it comes into play. How important is that medical record in this whole process and where does it come in during this, uh, I will just start with this denial process. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's extremely integral to the success of a de any denials program. The, the medical record and the documentation and accuracy of the documentation is, you know, really that primary step in ensuring that you're going to get paid. So if you, you know, there's variations of whether or not if you submit the medical record timely, if you submit the complete medical record, if there are missing components in the medical record that could lead to a continuation of the denials, if documentation from clinicians is not present in the record you submitted. So there could be two reasons for that. Either it was not documented, which the old standard applies. If it wasn't documented, it wasn't done, right? Or perhaps it was documented, but it was documented in a portion of the medical record that is not included in the template that is being provided um, to the payer. So same concept, if they don't see it, it wasn't done, and therefore they can continue that denial process. Um, and an example of that that we're seeing frequently is um, in, in infusions, high-dollar high infusions, the medical record, um, uh, some of the start and stop times, the waste, um, some of the information around those high-cost drugs may be in different parts of the medical record um, being documented by different clinicians within the organization. And if you're not assessing your template when you're sending that in, you may be only sending in portions of it, but it's not the portions that the payer expects to see in order to adjudicate, adjudicate that claim. So... How do hospitals, are, is this a large number of, uh, as a percentage, is it a large number of denied claims or partially denied claims based on the number of claims submitted? Uh, you know, overall, it, it doesn't sound like a lot. Um, and anywhere between, you know, 8 and 12 percent of of, of claims get denied and not all of those are clinical, but, but a fair amount of them are. And, you know, that doesn't sound like a lot, but when, when that's eight to 12% of your complete net patient revenue, which is in the millions and billions, then it becomes more significant, especially if these are avoidable denials that 
that with some some effort you can start um, tracking and trending and identifying your root causes and preventing those denials up front. From my standpoint, that sounds like a big number. Eight to twelve percent sounds like a huge number of mm -hmm. uh, revenue that's at stake for accommodating these types of denials. So with that, how do hospitals track this so that they're they're guaranteed that they're providing the information and preventing these denials, if at all possible? How, how do hospitals track it today? And is there a way to prevent this from occurring in the first place? Yeah, I, I think really full circle. So, so how do hospitals track it is, you know, is, is a good question. And, and, and it's a variety of ways. There are, um, you know, through software products, similar to some of the ones that MRO, um, um, that MRO is using um, in, in our process, in our revenue integrity um, services, as well as they're utilizing the EMRs and trying to track things through just claim denials in that aspect. Um, surprisingly, um, through a recent survey that we did, we found that uh, you know over 36% are still trying to track these these clinical claim denials and clinical audits using spreadsheets, um, which is which in this day and age is is um, you know kind of shocking, um, and and especially when you consider the dollars at risk and how long and um, specific tracking some of this information is, especially if you want to get down to root cause. So tracking is only one step, really getting into the granular details of why something was denied. So going back to that medical record component, you're, you're talking several steps to find out um, why something was denied. And you might only get that it's medical necessity, but that's when you start drilling down and find out that it's being denied because you didn't provide the start and stop times for this high cost infusion. So are there ways in within that software mm -hmm. to help prevent flags, if you will, for lack of better terms, flags that would indicate for certain types of diagnoses or certain types of admissions or procedures that can help identify those that are high risk of being denied? Is that what um, some of the features are or am I off track? No, no, you're not off track. So you certainly can and be able to drill in and, and find out when you're getting requests from certain payers and, and what are the reasons, you know, initially the request may or may not tell you exactly what they're auditing for. Um, but once you get those decisions back, you can really start to see the trends. And that's where you have to put together that full circle loop. When you start to see the same trends with certain payers, um, working internally to audit and get down to those root causes. So you'll be able to determine um, you know, if you have success rate with overturning some of these things. Maybe you know, if you're able to overturn it on appeal, that's fantastic, you're able to retain that revenue, but why did you have to appeal in the first place? What was missing in either that initial response um, that required you to have to go to that second step and appeal? Because that's additional resources as well. And then secondarily, if you're unable to appeal, 
what is the reason why? Because that's when it starts to become more of a compliant tracking um, concern and, and, and compliance monitoring. If you're submitting the same information over and over again and you're still getting denials, then what's the root cause of that? And putting in a corrective action plan so that you can be more proactive and prevent that. Um, is those are the, the steps that go beyond the standard billing cycle when doing that. So you can understand with all of those different steps why an Excel spreadsheet or even to some extent just utilizing your EMR to track those granular details becomes more challenging. How in the world, I hate to ask this silly question, but if 30% of the facilities in the country are in, in your survey, are still using spreadsheets, how in the world do they track through that spreadsheet the complexity of this? Uh, it, maybe it's a rhetorical question here, <laughs> right? but how does that happen? I, I, I'm sort of at a loss that they would still be using spreadsheets. Yeah, I, I, I think it, it is. I think it's either, um, uh, I, I think it leads a lot open to improvement for sure. Um, I have seen spreadsheets from, you know, from from providers that I've worked with in the past that are, you know, multi, you know, thousands and thousands of rows and and you know hundreds of columns trying to track some of that granularity and and then I've also seen it where they've come to us because somebody's actually gone in and accidentally deleted a few rows and so appeals were missed. And if you think about it, the cost of one of those appeals or or the cost of denying a couple of claims that were avoidable or could have been a successful appeal are really enough to help support the cost of that kind of software, um, not to mention the efficiencies in, in workflow and gaining, um, gaining that granular knowledge for root cause analysis. So it, it's, it's, a, it's a big how, but I think some, sometimes we have to get out of our comfort zone and look beyond those Excel spreadsheets. And I'm the first one to tell you I love my Excel spreadsheets, um, and they have a time and place for everything. But tracking audits and denials that can literally span years from beginning to end um, seems like the definition of insanity. It does to me, and I, I am not in that business, but it does to me. It just seems like that that's a really cumbersome way to track such an important uh, function within the hospitals. Dawn, is there anything, any advice that you could give in general about preventing these um, denials or working the, the uh, appeals uh, to our listeners? Well, I think the, the you know, biggest thing is, is kind of take it in chunks and, and reduce some of those silos. You know, audits and denials cross over multiple departments within an organization, and not one department can do it all. So identify where some of those strengths are. And if you are really trying to target some certain denials, you know, look at a combination of volume and dollar impact. And, and take it one step at a time to determine what are those root causes and what are some things that you can do proactively. And then make sure that you have the information to monitor that success. Um, we're, we're working in, and I, I don't want this to sound you know, antagonistic, but we're working and we're going up against payers who have a lot more, um, a, a lot more financials in, in place to, to be able to, to create analytics and hire staff to, to fight and 
fight claims and, and ensure that they're getting paid. And we're, we're working with limited resources. So go after the low-hanging fruit. Go after the high dollars. Go after the things that are immediately going to make a difference so that you can learn from them and then, uh, you know, continue that process, um, you know, one, one area, one focus area at a time. Don, thanks uh, for joining the show. This is very insightful, and I'm sure it will be for our listeners. So thank you very much for taking the time out of your schedule to join us today. Thank you for letting me join you. For more insights on a patient's medical record through the healthcare system, visit the show's page on MROCORP.com's website, where you can explore additional resources and thought leadership. You can also check out the program page on healthcarenowradio.com. Finally, be sure to connect with us on Twitter at MROCORP. Until we talk again, I'm your host, Don Hardwick. <music>